Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom. Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? I am. I'm very ready. Let's go! All right, let's give it a whirl. Okay, and I would also like to take just a moment to thank all of our listeners. Thank you so much for being there. I know we recently had a very nice freezing time in Texas, so I hope everybody's doing okay, and we're really glad you're here today with us. Uh, yes, uh, thank you so much for listening, uh, of course, in our wonderful home state of Texas and all around the world. I uh, hope uh, you are uh, warm or cold, whatever you want to be, and uh, are in a good positive mood, and hopefully we can uh, keep that going up for you, as we've got uh, quite an exciting episode uh, teed up for you today. Uh, and uh, for those of you, if this is your first episode of History in Retrograde, welcome. Uh, the way that we do things around here is that uh, in a moment, I will give the astrological birth data of a random historical figure to my mother. Now, you, the listening audience, already know who this historical figure is. It is in the title of today's episode. I, of course, know who it is because I selected this person, but Mom has no idea who this person could be. Uh, so in a moment, I will give her the data necessary to create an astrological birth chart. That is the birth date, time, and location. Uh, she will input that data into the BAT computer, and out will come the astrological birth chart, where all the planets, moons, and stars were at the moment that person was born. Uh, she will then uh, do her best to give us an initial reading of that chart, uh, telling us what she can about the personal uh, characteristics, uh, the uh, motivations of the person, the fortunes, uh, all of that. And then uh, I will reveal to her who our mystery history guest is, give a little background about the person, and then uh, we'll discuss together uh, how accurate the chart was at predicting what that person would do. Uh, so without further ado... Let us begin. All right. Uh, this is a male. Okay. 
uh, born on the 24th of September. Okay. 1905. All right. Do we have a time? We do. Yay! 10, 12 p.m. Okay. All right. And where in the world? Uh, the United States. All right. And the town? Humble, Texas. Humble, Texas? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, Harris County. There we go. All right. Now, uh, one of the interesting things that we've got set up for ourselves today is that what I've just given you is one of the birth dates. Uh, there is another one. Okay. Now, what I believe is I'm starting off with the correct one, but I think that it would be interesting to take a look at the one that he said he was born on later on in the program uh, and see how different the charts would look uh, and see which one is more accurate. I have a feeling it's going to be this one. All right. That sounds good. Okay. I'm game for that. <laughs> this yes. is a, a very dynamic chart. <laughs> yes, it is. I'm so glad you're learning that, Chandler. That's so fun. Okay. So, uh, yes, this is a very dynamic chart. This is uh, what's called a splash. And uh, this person clearly has uh, a very um, interesting splash of, uh, of planets and houses here um, all the way around their chart. Okay. Uh, let's see. Well, okay. Very interesting. All right. Just looking through here. And, oh my, okay. <laughs> mm. All right, well, I'm just going to go ahead and start with the first house and work my way around. So this person has Gemini as their ascendant at 16 degrees, all right? And in their first house, they have Pluto, and it's in Gemini at 22 degrees. Um, very interesting having Pluto in the first house, because Pluto in the first house can make a person uh, very powerful. It can also make them uh, have a lot of death and rebirth in their image. Okay. They also tend to be sort of an all or nothing kind of person. They are, they're, they're either all the way in or they're out and they're done. There's no real medium place with people with Pluto in the first house. They really are about, I mean, literally, like if you were to put all or nothing into death and rebirth, that's kind of where they are with the nothing mm. being death and the all being rebirth. And they're, and when they're in, they are in. And when mm. they're out, they're gone. You don't even, there's just vapor. There's nothing left. They're gone. Um, so that's interesting. And having it be in Gemini, this person probably should have been very talkative. Uh, having Gemini in your first house would make you quite the communicator. Um, I can't imagine that this person wouldn't be known for communicating or, or talking. Uh, second house is, uh, uh, cancer 
is on that house cusp. And second house is um, belongings and uh, material things and your fortune, um, how you make money, how much money you have, that kind of thing. And this person has uh, Neptune in the second house and has Neptune at 10 degrees Cancer in the second house. Now, Neptune in the second house. Neptune is always sort of veiled or is creativity, illusion, um, also can be, you know, uh, addiction. Uh, but this person has Neptune in Cancer, which is Cancer is a very nurturing sign. And uh, so somehow, uh, I would say that either their their fortunes come to them in a very creative way. It could even be a person who is uh, psychic, who uses their uh, metaphysical abilities to make a living. But I have a feeling that's not the case here. But maybe. Um, interesting. And it, 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 however you look at it, this person is creative with finances. Uh, Neptune is also kind of dreamy, but creative nurturing. Like this person would probably be fairly generous, I would think, nurturing with their finances. Then we come to third house, which is the house of communications. And this person has, that third house cusp is Leo, okay? And they have Moon at 10 degrees Leo and Venus at 27 degrees Leo. So they are not conjunct by degree, but they are conjunct by sign. Moon conjunct Venus in Leo in the third house of communications. Very interesting interactions with women. <laughs> women are going to be a big deal to this person. Uh-huh. And this person uh, is a very good communicator with women because it's third house and also could benefit from women communicating about him, perhaps. There's definitely a situation here with this person and women and communication. Okay, now, this person has North Node in Leo at 29 degrees, but it's falling in their fourth house. Now, whenever you have a 29 degree or you have a zero degree, these are always very significant. So it makes it more. Having North Node at 29 degrees, which that 29 degree is sometimes known as the degree of sorrow, but definitely impactful in the fourth house, this is about an in Virgo. Well, the, the North Node is in Leo, but it's it's at 29, so it's right on the cusp of Virgo. So there is some Virgo aspects to this as well. And then this person has Mercury at 17 degrees Virgo in the fourth house. So, so much communication with this person. Lots and lots of communication and talking because Mercury is communication. Mercury rules Gemini and Virgo, okay? So now this person has Mercury in Virgo, which is, you know, it's ruled by Mercury. And then 
North Node in the fourth house is something about communications about the home, the environment, the country, the house, the anything that has to do with your home and, and your what you consider home. It could be your country, it could be your county, it could be your state. It's something about the home. Okay, then this person has sun at one degree Libra in the fifth house. Now that is uh, very interesting. Sun at one degree Libra. Sun at one degree Libra also gives you, you know, this Virgo aspect, right? So this is um, very interesting. One degree Libra in the fifth house, which we know fifth house is entertainment, children, um, romance, uh, 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 also leadership, all of the Leo things. It's ruled by the sun. So having sun in your fifth house, which is ruled by the sun because the, uh, the sun rules Leo in the fifth house. So it is possible this person uh, is in the entertainment or I would almost say like a news person, um, like someone who, who brings information. Uh, this person has Scorpio on their sixth house cusp. They don't have anything in that house. Then they have uh, Sagittarius on their seventh house cusp and they have Mars at 21 degrees Sagittarius in that seventh house. Very interesting. And then Uranus at zero degrees, Capricorn in the seventh house. This Uranus and Mars situation here in the seventh house, even though they're both in different signs, but here Uranus is at zero degrees, which makes it more significant, which means this person uh, could have had... Um, many partners hmm. or could have had uh, un unusual out of the blue things happen to their partners or uh, I mean Uranus is or they could have been involved with a very technological partner uh, someone who or you know could have even it could be as simple as being involved with an Aquarius you know because it's zero degrees um, uh, Capricorn, but it's Uranus and, and Uranus rules Aquarius. And then Mars and Sag, ooh, that is uh, very fiery. <laughs> Mars and Sag. And that Mars and Sag is uh, trining this Venus in Leo. Okay. And it's trining by sign the moon in Leo. So I cannot imagine that this person was not uh, fairly um, a ladies man, if hmm. they're heterosexual. I would assume they were a ladies man. Um, having that Mars in the seventh house, very much uh, the man in the partnership, uh, le maybe the leader in the partnership, but uh, Sagittarius, Mars and Sagittarius in the seventh house. They would also need to be kind of, I would think, 
free, like not want to be held down. You know, they need somebody who can accept that they're going to come and go, maybe. Okay, eighth house uh, is Capricorn. And uh, they have Chiron at one degree Aquarius there in their eighth house. So there's some karma with humanitarian aspects and uh, humanity, legacy, uh, wounded healer. Chiron is wounded healer. So some power. Um, or being known in um, large groups of people or general humanity. There's something going on there. I'll come back to that. Then ninth house, we have Saturn. But even though the ninth house cusp is um, Aquarius, we have Saturn at, well, that's true. We have Saturn at 27 degrees Aquarius. So People who have Saturn in Aquarius are destined to deal with groups of people. They are destined to be humanitarians in one way or another. And having Saturn in the ninth house in Aquarius with this uh, Chiron in the eighth house in Aquarius at one degree, there's something significant about humanitarianism or how they deal with humanity or um humanitarianism or dark side would be totalitarianism but i don't know i don't think that's what it is because i think this person is more uh of a communicator so maybe communicating their philosophies over the airwaves i do not know um but ninth house is uh travel philosophy dogma religion learning, teaching, all these Sagittarian things, right? And here this person has Saturn there. Their uh, midhaven is uh, 28 degrees Aquarius. So again, their career has to do with this communicating with uh, humanity. And see how this Pluto and Gemini at 22 is trining this Saturn and Aquarius. It's very powerful. Interesting. Okay. Tenth house cusp is uh, Pisces. They don't have anything in that house. Eleventh house cusp is Aries. They don't have anything there. But twelfth house cusp is Taurus. But they have Jupiter in Gemini in their twelfth house. See how it changes right here mm -hmm. to Gemini? So that is a lot of communication. We have Jupiter conjunct by sign, Pluto in Gemini, although they're in two different houses. And this is karmic because it's the 12th house. Somehow this person is supposed to communicate on a big scale to the masses because it's in Gemini. Is any of this making sense? Yes, uh, he, he certainly was involved in the entertainment industry, but there were, uh, he was involved in a lot of other things too. Mm -hmm. hmm. Well, maybe it could be simple, something as simple as air, like flying. Uh, I don't know. 
it's something that has to do with air because it's Gemini and uh, Saturn and Aquarius. Maybe. Uh, do you have questions? Yes. Uh, so, uh, can you get any sense of what their parents might be like? Okay, well, I would think with Moon and Leo, their mother would have been fairly dramatic. Probably. Uh, could be a, a very uh, loving, sunshiny type of lady. Uh, she's a Leo, so she could be overbearing. I mean, it just depends on what aspect of Leo we were looking at, you know, and I'm not sure that the mother was a Leo, but this is how this person would have perceived the mother, right? Mm -hmm. And then the son in Libra, uh, the father possibly could have been much more easygoing than the mother. The mother would have been uh, more intense, I would think, than the father, but with it being his son is at one degree Libra, it's possible that the father could have been an educator or somehow uh, very uh, organized with maybe figures like an accountant or something like that. Um, does that answer your question? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. um, and you've touched on this a little bit, but I'll just bring it up as a question. Uh, what is uh, his relationship to women? <laughs> Well, I would think that this fellow really, really uh, loves to be with women. And because having moon conjunct Venus in Leo, just by sign, not by degree, but having them together in the third house, if this birth time is correct. Now, you're saying there's another birth time? I'm saying there's another birthday. Oh, well, that's different then, isn't it? Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's interesting that someone would claim that their birthday was another day other than their actual birthday. Mm -hmm. But, uh, okay, that's unique. Um, so uh, that could change also. But I would assume that this person, I mean, looking at this chart the way it stands right now, was very interested in women. Uh, his north node is in Leo conjunct his venus which means he like his purpose has to do with women uh his direction has to do with women and i would assume that he was fairly surrounded by women possibly in his home i don't know how but maybe and uh because you see this here is only two degrees separation between this right. venus and this north node so, and then this Mars in Sag trining that, I think women liked him back. I don't think this person had a difficult time with women. He just might have liked really feisty women, like mm. super feisty women. Maybe the women were independent. Uh, interesting. Very interesting. Do you have more questions? Yes, yes, yes. Um what would he do if he felt uh, insulted? <laughs> I don't know that this guy. I don't know. This guy, he, uh, first of all, he's got this. Now, with Pluto in the first house, if this is true, he could walk away like vapor. But I don't know that this guy would do that. 
I think this guy could possibly uh, tear whoever it was to shreds with communicating. Like, there are people who don't have to raise a hand to you. They can just say three words to you and you're done. I would think that this person has that ability. But I don't think that this person would. Uh, this is a person who's very quick. Uh, should be able to uh, mentally outwit many people. I would think. Even though mm -hmm. his son is in Libra, which a Libra can be very sweet and very kind, he's got all this fire and air. Mm, I don't know about that. I don't think this guy would just... One way or another, this person... I, I keep feeling like this person would be able to literally destroy someone in the media. And um, what is this uh, person's relationship with finances? Well, this person has Neptune in the second house. So it is possible that this person makes money in a creative way. Or it's possible that somehow money uh, flows through his fingers. There's something with the illusion, illusion of money or creative way of making money. Um, he has Saturn conjunct his midhaven in Aquarius, which uh, his midhaven is his career and it's in Aquarius. So that's ruled by Uranus. He could have a technological way of making money, a futuristic technology kind of way, or uh, I'm not, I don't know, because he has a six house cusp is Scorpio and he doesn't have anything in his sixth house and he doesn't have any planets in his 10th house per this chart. So does that make sense at all? Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. okay. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, what is, uh, his relationship, uh, with illness? Again, you would look to the sixth house to see this. He has Scorpio on the sixth house. Scorpio is ruled by Pluto. Um, it, it, I, I don't show, you know, that there's anything here that looks really bad as far as like chronic illness or anything like that. But having Scorpio on the sixth house being ruled by Pluto could have a very odd relationship with illness. Or the consideration of illness. Um, hmm. I I don't I don't see any any specific you know concern now. Also, eighth house is ruled by Scorpio, and this person has Chiron in the eighth house at one degree, which is the wounded healer. So perhaps. Uh, this person has some uh, secretive situation with how he deals. I don't know. I don't. I don't really see anything in particular 
that other than having Scorpio on the sixth, which I guess Scorpios could be. Um, there are people who have uh, a, 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 an affinity for what illnesses uh, are uh, and and how they. Um, I don't know. I can't, I'm just wondering. Are you trying to describe it. like a hypochondriac? Yeah, kind of like that because it's very dramatic, right? But it, it would be like stuff that's more um, dark, like secret. I don't know. Maybe if I knew who it was, I could get more get closer mm-hmm. on that. But there's nothing in the sixth house. So. Uh, what is his relationship to work? Again, he has... Um, Scorpio on the sixth house, and that would be work and health, work ethic. Uh, Scorpio on the sixth, he could be uh, very dedicated to work, but also could be uh, kind of like like it's a game, you know, because Scorpios love to play games and they love to win. So it could be something along that line. He does not have... um, Anything in his 10th house, but he does have his Midhaven career is uh, in Aquarius. So he could have a more unique perspective on his career and work. And it could be uh, like an inventor, um, like futuristic way of looking at things because it's in Aquarius, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, his 10th house is in Pisces, which would make him creative, should make him creative. Uh, And Pisces is ruled by Neptune, so it could make his, I mean, it could go as far as having like hidden um, inventions uh, that are futuristic. Mm -hmm. Could be, I don't know. Um, okay. I, I think that, uh, that, that concludes, uh, my, my questions, uh, for this chart. Now, I, I think I would like to take a look at the, um, birth date that he gave him, or he also told people that this was his birthday. Um, I do not believe that this is his birthday and most people do not. But just to give people an idea of how different it would be, just a, a brief little look into this. Um, okay. So he told people that he was born on Christmas Eve of 1905. Really? I wonder why he would tell people that. That's so weird. Okay. So let's look. Uh, would we go with the same birth time? Yes. Okay, so this is a male. And it would be the 24th mm-hmm. of December? Yes. That's such an odd thing to do. Okay, and it's, what'd you say, 1905? 1905. Okay. And uh, he, he said he was born in Houston. Oh, so okay. that that's the only. But which we're still is, doing 10, close. 22? Yep, 10, 10, 20, 10, 12. Oh, 10, 12. Okay. And then Houston. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's very weird. 
I'm interested. <laughs> Very interested to know who this person is. Why they would make up a birthday or not, and why? Why would there be one birthday? That's very weird. Okay, so let's move on. Let's go back over here. Go here. And because this would make him. Um, a Capricorn. Well, this definitely changes things. Mm -hmm. Significantly. All right. So now, if we go with this birthday, at this birth time, this person would have had Virgo rising, okay? And do I have the... It's 1905, right? Yep. Okay. Interesting. It's extremely different. Okay. So it would have had Virgo rising. See here? Mm -hmm. And nothing in the first house, nothing in the second house, nothing in the third house. They would have had uh, all Sagittarius and Capricorn in their fourth house. They have Moon in Sag, Mercury in Sag, Venus in Sag, Sun in Capricorn, and Uranus in Aquarius at four degrees. So that is a bunch of Sagittarius, okay, in the fourth house, which is home. So that would mean that this person was very uh, independent, very independent and very connected to women in his house, hmm. his home, okay? This is where everything comes into the house and the home, all right? Now, this person would have had Sun in Capricorn at 2 degrees and Uranus in Capricorn at 4 degrees, all right? But Sun conjunct Mercury conjunct Venus in Sagittarius in the 4th house. Lots of communication with women, all by degree, right? Within a 5-degree orb in this situation. So we have Mercury at 15 degrees Sag, uh, moon at 19 degrees Sag, and Venus at 20 degrees Sag, all right? This person would have had Chiron in Aquarius at four degrees in the fifth house, which is ruled by Capricorn, okay? Which could make this person, because the fifth house was ruled by Capricorn, could make them a business person in show business, all right? Mm -hmm. Having the sixth house have the Mars literally conjunct. Mars is now in Aquarius, conjunct by degree Saturn in the sixth house, would make this person a very unique worker and very um, humanitarian, technological, uh, futuristic having to do with work, okay? Then seventh house is Pisces. There's nothing in the seventh house. Eighth house is Aries. There's nothing in the eighth house. But ninth house is the house cuspus Taurus. And this person would now have Jupiter in Taurus, okay? 
Jupiter and Taurus at 27 degrees in the ninth house, which would make them uh, very, very, because Jupiter rules, uh, no, Venus rules Taurus. So Jupiter in Taurus would be uh, this person somehow, I would think they would travel, they would have lavish, uh, they would travel, uh, lavish traveling, also very stubborn in their philosophies and their uh, dogma and their religion, but also benevolent in those things. So maybe they traveled a lot. This person would have their midhaven at two degrees Gemini, which would put their career in something that has to do with communication. But their 10th house now would have that Pluto at 21 degrees Gemini. And that would be a big deal for career in communications. Putting the Neptune in Cancer in the 11th house, uh, making them seem uh, able to... um, have dreamlike or creativity with the masses, creativity with groups of people, nurturing through creativity, groups of people. This person has now has North Node at 22 degrees, uh, in 22 degrees Leo in the 12th house. So this person would be destined to be a prophet, could be destined to be a prophet, could be destined to be a leader could be destined to be in show business, could be destined to be in any of those Leo things. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So does one of these make more sense than the other? Well, I'm not seeing a a whole lot of difference. I mean, No, it's just changing the houses and changing these signs. It seems like with both of these, the, the major characteristics of... Uh, either future thinking or uh, entertainment or women all seem to still be there. Right. What, just what, what would you houses. say are the major differences between these two? Well, this has your North Node in Leo in the 12th house. So that puts your direction more. Before we had North Node conjunct the, like the Moon and, and the Venus, right? Which was more... Your direction was women. In this situation, your direction is karmic, and it has to do with leadership, possibly entertainment, things like that. Okay. Mm. And in this situation, we have uh, this fifth house is ruled by Capricorn, which would be very businessy in Leo things. Uh, this puts the um, Mars and Saturn exactly conjunct in the sixth house, which is very futuristic or humanitarian in their in their work, okay? In the other one, they had Scorpio in the sixth house with nothing in that house. Hmm. So it is different. This one has Jupiter and Taurus in the ninth house. This one has Pluto. And uh, it would be very powerful career in communications or, I mean, it could be air. And Pluto was still in Gemini in the other chart. Correct, but it's in the first house. See the difference? Yeah, yes. See, this is very different. 
where everything falls in the houses. You're still going to have the outer planets in the same because it's not that much, you know, it's not, it's a few months different. This person in this chart is a Libra. This person in this chart is a Sag. Mm -hmm. This person is going to be way fierier. Okay. More fire, more, Mm. uh, Riding into the fray, more, mm. you know, all of this. And all of this here is in the fourth house. Home, community, country. Uh, and this over here has uh, these women in the third house, which is more communications. This is all about communications. This mm. super duper communications. This is more. Uh, <sighs> fire power. Sagittarius. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know who it is. So I don't know how to compare the two charts. It's just really weird that someone would have a birth certificate or somehow say that their birthday is a completely different day, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And in this situation, you have Aquarius on the sixth house. You asked me something about how they would deal with illness. Well, here they have Mars conjunct. Uh, Saturn in the sixth house so it's possible you know there could be unique illness there could be lessons with illness uh, and somehow uh, I don't need I mean like discovery of illness something I don't know mm. it's very different it is very different even though the outer planets are the same because they're they're not these two dates are not that far apart, they are in different places because of uh, the way the first house falls and how everything is different. I might be able to get a better idea once I know who it is, if I know mm-hmm. who it is, if it's mm-hmm. someone I know or know of. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. Well, then I think we have come to the time where I'm going to give us a summary of our findings. Okay. Uh, so, uh, going to uh, the first chart, the uh, September uh, birth date, um, powerful was the first word that you said. Uh-huh. Uh, death and rebirth of the image, all or nothing. Uh, very talkative, a communicator. Uh, fortune comes in a creative way, creative with finance, generous, very interesting uh, interactions with women. Uh, there's a benefit that comes with women talking about him. Uh, lots of communication, communication about the home, uh, possible uh, involvement in the entertainment industry, could be a news anchor, uh, has many partners. Uh, unusual things happen to partners, uh, partners in a technical uh, matter. Uh, they're... Uh, he could be a very uh, a le- much a ladies' man. Uh, not want to be held down. Uh, being known by humanity. Destined to deal with groups of people. Communicate to the masses. Uh, could have something to do with the air, uh, aviation, flying. Uh, mother could be dramatic. Uh, could be intense, uh, loving, uh, maybe overbearing. Father uh, was easygoing, organized, uh, something to do with accounts. Uh, Loves to be with women. Very interested in women. Purpose. uh, Destiny has to do with women. Uh, Surrounded by women. 
Women liked him back. He liked independent, fiery women. Uh, he could uh, tear opponents away uh, through communication, uh, mentally outwit opponents, destroy someone in the media, makes money in a creative fashion. Uh, there's an illusion of money. Uh, technology plays a role with money, uh, futuristic things. Uh, there's an odd relationship with illness uh, and the consideration of illness, a secretive situation with how he deals with illness, a dramatic relationship with illness, a dedicated worker. Uh, work can be a game to him. Uh, it could be an inventor. Uh, it could have hidden inventions, a futuristic mind. Uh, so, uh, would you like to know whose uh, chart you've been reading? Yes. This is most likely the astrological birth chart of Howard Hughes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, okay. Um, mm. Wow. I do not know if which chart is, is him. And do you have any background on why or how he would say that his chart, that his birthday would be on Christmas Eve instead of in September? Mm -hmm. what, why, why is that? So Howard Hughes said that his birthday was on Christmas Eve of mm -hmm. 1905. Mm -hmm. um, he uh, got written affidavits from people in his family saying, that his um, birth date was that, but there is no certificate. Uh, so uh, we do have a baptismal record. Uh, in the in the baptismal record, it said that he was born on September twenty fourth of nineteen o five. This uh, when he told people the and he got sworn affidavits. This happened in the 1940s. He was already a very wealthy, very powerful person, could very easily buy family members to say that he was born on Christmas Eve. It added to the allure. It added to everything about the man was uh, a little off, a little odd, and to be born on Christmas Eve added another aspect to his story. He would make up all sorts of stories about his background, uh, one of them being that his parents were not his parents, that uh, uh, or that his mother was actually his aunt, or all these different things to try and make himself more alluring and more enigmatic. Uh, so, most likely, I think, just from a document standpoint, he was born September 24th. Okay. I think uh, from our readings, uh, this chart feels more right to me. Okay. Uh, it hits more of what the man was about. I was just intrigued at how similar it seemed. The, the notes that you were hitting were pretty similar for both of them. Um, but for myself, I would think September. Okay. Well, I mean, when you think about Howard Hughes and his weirdness, uh, this Scorpio, you know, the dark side of Scorpio, uh, with his weird health 
situations and his odd behavior. Um, so in this situation, his upset, you know, more obsession with women, right? Obsession with it in this, you know what I mean? Because if his North node is conjunct his Venus and his moon by sign, but definitely conjunct his Venus, there's some obsession there, like not, not a normal mm-hmm. way of dealing with women. He, he took this and it can make him obsessed, which would be a natural considering his direction is conjunct his Venus. You know, there could be mm-hmm. some situation with that, but in this, situ- and also knowing about, you know, the airplanes and all that, this yes. Jupiter in Gemini in, is an air sign, right? Mm-hmm. That, that could make sense and power, powerful, very powerful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I will. So we're going to dismiss this chart then. Yes. Okay, so we're just going to dismiss this yeah, one. Yeah, we're, we're, okay. we're pretty sure he was not born on Christmas Eve. Okay, so he is not wanting, he's not, he's not born on Christmas Eve. And then, see, this Midhaven in Aquarius makes him very technological mm-hmm. in his career, and also air, right? And, and, uh, uh, and he has Saturn there. So some lessons to be learned, because it's, by degrees see this is 27 degrees and it's 28 degrees in aquarius uh so saturn at 27 degrees and midhaven at 28 degrees in aquarius which makes it very technological i don't know why he wouldn't like his chart i mean i'm sure he had his chart done i mean i can't imagine he didn't but i don't think it had anything to do with the chart he just wanted to be a christmas baby yes he just wanted to be uh, uh born the same day as jesus okay but no one knows for sure that jesus was born on right, the 24th right but he of liked the idea of being a christmas gift to the world oh okay well that's very nice okay so uh howard hughes junior uh was born as i think we have borne out here uh, on September 24th, uh, 1905, in Humble, Texas, uh, to Aline and Howard Hughes Sr. Uh, Howard Hughes Sr. Uh, was uh, quite the scoundrel and roused about himself. Uh, he had failed in a number of businesses. He had been run out of town in Missouri for um, uh, uh, trying to run away with uh, a, a man's daughter and he got into all kinds of trouble, eventually uh, got uh, the luck of uh, a lifetime to be uh, in uh, uh, the coast of Texas when Spindletop went off. Uh, and so Spindletop was the first uh, oil well uh, in Texas. Uh, and uh, Hugh Sr. quickly bought up a whole bunch of land around Spindletop for pennies and sold it just a few days later for hundreds of dollars. Uh, he then took all of that money and continued, uh, going into the oil business in, um, Texas, uh, was, uh, uh part of, uh, founding of, uh, Texaco. And then, uh, Hughes Sr., uh, developed a, uh, the Hughes drill bit, uh, which he did not sell. He leased to all of the different oil companies. So the Hughes uh, Tool Company became one of the most massively successful uh, oil ventures in uh, the world. 
Uh, and all of this was happening while Howard Hughes Jr. was just growing up, and he would eventually inherit all of this great fortune. Uh, so, uh, Hughes Jr., uh, while uh, his father was off uh, getting all this uh, success, uh, spent a lot of time with his mother. And uh, a lot of uh, biographers and scholars would say that um, Hughes's mother was overbearing, uh, was uh, uh, one of the reasons how he got all of the compulsions and uh, uh, his uh, germophobia and all these things were from his mother's uh, uh, smothering of him. And uh, growing up, uh, Hughes did not really enjoy the company of other boys. Uh, in the school, he was always around uh, all of the girls. Uh, didn't really want a rough house. Didn't want to do the things that the, he liked talking and about pretty things with the girls. Uh, some people thought that he was actually uh, a sissy. Uh, but uh, eventually his father would send him to Boy Scout camp and he took on to the great outdoors just the same as any, even better than most of the other students. Um, he just enjoyed the company of women. Uh, early on, Hughes also... Uh, developed and and showed off his mechanical ability uh by the age of 11 uh hughes built the first wireless radio in houston uh by the age of 12 he had built the first uh motorized bicycle in houston and his mother actually made sure that he got his picture in the paper showing off his uh wonderful invention uh, he also very early on, uh, took to flight and aviation. He, um, was fascinated by it. At an early age, at around 14, uh, his father, uh, took him to the Harvard-Yale, uh, rowing race. And, uh, the father said, if Harvard wins the race, I will buy you anything that you want. Uh, and, uh, Harvard ended up winning the race, and Howard uh, held his hand out. He wanted $5 uh, so that he could ride on the uh, floating airplane on the lake. And so uh, that was the first time Howard Hughes had ever gotten into an airplane, and uh, the rest of his life would be completely uh, taken up with aviation and flight. Um, by the uh, an early age, both of his parents uh, ended up passing away. In 1922, uh, his mother died uh, from complications with a uh, pregnancy, and uh, just two years later, his father passed away. Uh, at 19, uh, Howard Hughes went to court uh, to become fully emancipated and to become complete owner of the Hughes uh, Drill Corporation. Wow. Uh, and the uh, judge... Uh, saw that he was a capable young man and made him uh, in charge of the entire company, and he became one of the wealthiest 19-year-olds in the world. Uh, he was going to school at Rice University at the time, uh, but uh, the uh, company took up so much of his time, he ended up dropping out from school, and uh, he actually married uh, the uh, grandniece of the founder of Rice University. Uh, he married Ella Rice, and uh, they packed their bags and they went to Hollywood. 
while in Hollywood, Howard Hughes uh, learned all about movie making. He would just show up at the studios and was fascinated by all the technical aspects of movie making. He would take apart cameras and put them back together, take apart projectors and put them back together. Um, and all of the Hollywood people thought that this was just some dope with a whole lot of money who had showed up and were happy to take his money, uh, but didn't think that anything grand was going to come out of him. Uh, but uh, he proved them all wrong. Uh, he started uh, pouring money into pictures, um, and uh, he had a couple of successes. He had a couple of flops, uh, but then uh, he wanted to make the first great aviation picture. Uh, he wanted to combine his two loves of film and flying, and uh, he uh, made Hell's Angels. Uh, he wrote, he produced, he directed, uh, he did everything for this movie. And this was one of the most expensive pictures ever made at the time. It cost $3.2 million, uh, which was quite a budget in uh, the late 20s. Um, and he bought airplanes for it. He, the, the, the flight, the, the, the airplanes, um, the fleet of airplanes that he had was bigger than most small countries. Uh, he was buying all these old World War I fighters, uh, with fully staffed with pilots. Uh, he, uh, uh already developing, uh, his, uh, obsessive compulsive, uh, tendencies, uh, they, they would do entire dogfights, and then he would just throw away that film because uh, the cloud didn't look right. Oh, no! Uh, so they would have to wait for that cloud to pass and then do it again. So it was one of the most expensive shoots. It was one of the longest shoots. And then they almost got the film completed, and talkies came out. And so... Howard Hughes decided, well, we're going to film all of the dialogue now, and we're going to have a microphone in there, and we're going to have to get a new actress, because they had a, a Norwegian actress who didn't sound right, um, so uh, he found this other actress and created Jean Harlow uh, and put her into uh, the picture, so wow. that took another uh, millions of dollars and time spent to do all of that. But it all paid off. Hell's Angels was one of the biggest pictures of the year. It made double its money. Uh, it was broke all the records. It was one of the biggest films of Hollywood history up to that point. Uh, Howard Hughes continued uh, in the Hollywood game. Uh, he would make some flops. He would make some successes. Uh, he always liked to push the envelope on uh, what was uh, allowed on screen. Uh, he uh, made a film uh, that was ripped straight from the headlines with Scarface. This was pretty much the story of Al Capone. Uh, there were, of course, liberties taken, but it was supposed to be the idea of you know who Al Capone is in Chicago. Now we're going to make a film about his life. And it is a, quite a, 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 a an obscene picture uh, for the time. Uh, the topics that they're talking about, um, the uh, uh, scenes of assault going on. There are uh, uh, obscene words and tons of violence. Um, the Hayes Code uh, wanted to take minutes out of the film, wanted to strip it of uh, different things, and Howard Hughes fought them, and he won. And uh, he got to show Scarface and all of its bloody and uh, uh, obscene glory to everyone. And it, he was he relished the fact that the Hayes Code wanted to take it away because that made everyone want to go and see it. <laughs> uh, so that 
prove that he would want to try and continue to push the envelope, try and get in trouble, show the picture anyway, and then rake in all of the profits uh, from all of the word of mouth of how dirty the picture could have been. Uh, later on in his life, uh, he would produce the film The Outlaw. Uh, this was uh, one of the raciest pictures of the time, and it was uh, the debut of Jane Russell. And uh, he wanted to make sure that uh, Jane Russell's assets were uh, as on display as they possibly could be. Uh, he actually went and tried to engineer a brassiere. Uh, a new wired brassiere to try and emphasize her assets even more. Um, it was one of the most uncomfortable things Jane Russell had ever worn, and she did not wear it for the rest of the picture. And uh, if you've ever seen Jane Russell, uh, she didn't really need a whole lot of help <laughs> in emphasizing that. Uh, but minutes of the film needed to be cut. Uh, the board did not want to release the picture, but it eventually did get released. And just with all the others, it made uh, a grand success because it was uh, quite a, a steamy picture for the time. Uh, he would also end up uh, purchasing RKO. Uh, RKO was one of the major uh, studios at the time, and it was not a, a, a good. It was not in a good financial position, but it really didn't matter. He purchased it for about twenty-one million dollars, um, and the Hughes uh, Tool Corporation was making fifty million a year. So it didn't matter if RKO turned a profit or not. Howard Hughes was going to turn a profit. Uh, so he could just use this as his own personal playground to make whatever films he wanted. Uh, during the mid-30s, going into uh, World War II, aviation uh, was also continued to be a great passion for Howard Hughes. Uh, and uh, he set records uh, because of his ingenuity in making airplanes. Uh, so the H-1 airplane uh, was uh, the fastest plane ever built. Uh, and he insisted on testing every plane that he made. Uh, so he was in the cockpit when it broke the speed record of over 352 miles per hour. Uh, he uh, made this uh, famous flight from Burbank to Newark, and he made it in 7 hours and 28 minutes. Uh, I was actually watching a, a film reel, uh, a newsreel at the time, that the guy goes on, It is only 1935, and already we have an airplane that can cross the country in 7 hours. Um <laughs> uh, uh, he became famous for, and, and a great sense of pride for the country, uh, that he was able to build this, uh, uh, remarkable airplane, uh, and, uh, kept pushing, uh, the limit on what airplanes could do. In 1938, he decided that he was going to set the world record for going around the world. Uh, and so, uh, he, uh, left New York, and, uh, as he was leaving, uh, New York in this airplane, uh, he flew over Connecticut, he flew over his, uh, uh, girlfriend uh, Catherine Hepburn's house and dipped his wings uh, near the house uh, as a sign of good luck uh, continued on his way and he made it to Paris in 16 hours uh, that was half the time that it took Charles Lindbergh to uh, get from New York to Paris uh, and then he just continued on he went to Moscow and then Alaska and then Minneapolis and then um, back to New, New York 
Uh, and he did that in three days, 19 hours, and 17 minutes. Wow. Set the world record. Uh, there was a huge uh, uh, ticker tape parade, uh, three days of celebrations, a great sense of pride to the nation of what he was able to achieve uh, with uh, the aviation uh, that he loved so much. Um, he uh, eventually, uh, he, he loved aviation so much and flying planes that at one point uh, he uh, went under a different name. I think it was Charles Howard and uh, pretended to be just a regular pilot for American Airlines. And uh, and he got away with it and learned so much about flying planes uh, just by flying these commercial flights uh, under a, a fake name. Uh, he would eventually have a much bigger role to play in commercial aviation when he, uh, was, the, uh, he, he bought the controlling shares in, uh, TWA and, uh, insisted on taking over all of the different aspects of TWA and, uh, uh, building bigger planes and making sure that the planes were pressurized, uh, so that the planes could fly higher and people could be more comfortable and, uh, completely revolutionized um, passenger uh, commercial air travel. While this was all uh, going on, uh, World War II was heating up, and uh, Uncle Sam asked uh, Howard Hughes uh, for a number of things uh, in regards to the war effort. Uh, one of them uh, was to make a, a faster plane, uh, so uh, he started working on the XF-11, uh, and this was uh, uh, supposed to be, you know, an, another uh, way of helping the war effort. Uh, they were also asking him to build a huge airplane, a huge airplane that could fly uh, directly from uh, the ocean. Uh, so uh, it was supposed to be the hugest airplane ever made, and it was, it was supposed to be a floating boat, pretty much. And the idea behind it was that uh, all of these carriers uh, were being sunk by German U-boats. Uh, so if they had a floating boat, uh, then when the U-boats came, they could take off from the ocean, get out of range of the U-boats, and then land back on the ocean. This would save countless lives. The hiccup in all this is that the United States did not want to use all of the metal that it would take to build the world's largest airplane, so they made him make it out of wood. Uh, and so this created a whole nother engineering problem of now you have to figure out the density of the right kind of wood and each piece of wood has to be measured precisely so that you can make this humongous airplane to take off from the water. Uh, needless to say, it, it, it caused such a problem that he had a complete nervous breakdown trying oh, to no. get all the engineering right. He had to go out into the desert and uh, this was one of many breakdowns that he would have in his life. Um, the breakdown and the engineering problems pushed the development of uh, this uh, airplane until after World War II had ended. Uh, the XF-11, uh, the, the fast airplane I was talking about earlier, uh, also the, the development was pushed off until after the war. Uh, this uh, caused a number of problems with uh, the U.S. government. Uh, namely, uh, there was a, uh, a senator from Maine uh, who uh, believed that Howard Hughes was profiting from the U.S. government and uh, demanded that Howard Hughes come in and explain himself. Uh, he tarnished Howard Hughes's name in the media, and um, uh, Hughes uh, then ended up having to go up before Congress 
and tell them that not only had he not profited, he was losing money from all this, he was pouring millions of dollars of his own money into this, uh, that he believed in the war effort, of course, he was not going to scam the American people out of this, and that uh, uh, he gave a very heartfelt testimony about how um, the, that he had put his life and, and blood and sweat and tears into this thing, and that uh, if this thing was not successful, he was going to leave the country and never come back. Um, and while all this was going on, he uh, actually got uh, the, what the, the critics called the Spruce Goose out of uh, the engineering hangars and got it to Long Beach, California, put it in the ocean, put it all together. And then while uh, the uh, uh, Congress was in on break, uh, he decided that he was going to taxi uh, the uh, large uh, boat plane uh, to see that it could work. And while he was ta taxiing it, he figured, I'm going to go ahead and try and see if it can fly. And so uh, he got uh, one of the uh, largest airplanes that uh, uh, was uh, over, the, I think, a 300-foot uh, wingspan. Um, and he got it up in the air, uh, for 70 feet up in the air for one mile above the Pacific Ocean outside of Long Beach, California. And, uh, it was, uh, a great success. And everybody, uh, talked about how, um, you know, that he had actually done it. He came back and showed the senator up, uh, for having said that he wasn't doing what he was doing. And, I, and the senator didn't even show up back to, um, the, uh, uh, testimony he was so embarrassed he went back to maine uh howard hughes personally funded the campaign of his opponent made sure that that senator never got a job in washington ever again uh now the story behind the xf-11 is uh, a, a little less uh, triumphant for howard hughes uh, he did end up test flying it on july 7th 1946 uh, he was flying over southern california and one of the propellers uh stopped working uh so he was trying to crash land the plane on the golf course uh in beverly hills he did not make it to the golf course and instead crashed in a residential neighborhood uh he took off the uh, roofs of two houses and then completely demolished another house when uh, the plane landed and engulfed the house in flames uh, howard hughes was able to pry himself out of the cockpit and uh he would then end up having to be in the hospital for uh, an extended stay, and this is where he developed a um, horrible dependency on painkillers. Uh, the doctors um, prescribed him a cocktail of codeine, Valium, and Epirot, which he would have to take for the rest of his life. While he was recuperating in the hospital, uh, he uh, was not comfortable in the hospital bed. Uh, he wanted to uh, lean up, and he wanted to have his feet elevated, and so he developed uh, the uh, the bed that raises uh, your your self into the upright position, uh, lifts your feet up. He developed the modern hospital bed. Uh, so any hospital in the nation, if you've ever had to uh, uh, be in that situation and were able to lift yourself up by just pushing a button. You were able to do that because of Howard Hughes. Wow. Uh, going into... Uh, uh, now, uh, while all this is going on, need to talk a little bit about his Playboy lifestyle. Uh, so uh, he was in Hollywood. Uh, he, of course, 
ended up getting a divorce from uh, Miss Rice because he was out every night with every Hollywood star that he could muster up. Uh, so the <laughs> list uh, that uh, he uh, of the uh, women that he was involved with. Uh, Jean Harlow, Catherine Hepburn, Ava Gardner, Rita Hayworth, Betty Davis, Elizabeth Taylor, Marilyn Monroe. Um, uh, th- there's one story that involves uh, Ginger Rogers. Uh, he would go out and, of course, money was nothing to him. He got a silver tray and loaded it with every type of jewelry possible. Diamond bracelets, necklaces, rings, earrings, uh, anything you could imagine just overflowing from this silver tray and, uh, offered it to Ginger Rogers and she turned it down. She did not, she was not with Howard Hughes because of, uh, the jewelry and the money. She actually felt love and affection for him, uh, which is, uh, very sad for her. Uh, now, uh, Catherine Grayson, on the other hand, uh, was offered the same tray and she took every single piece uh, of jewelry <laughs> off of the tray. Uh, he was in an extended relationship with Lana Turner and Lana Turner thought, uh, because Howard Hughes told every single one of these women that he was going to marry them and Lana Turner believed him, uh, in fact, went out and got all of her, um, Towels monogrammed HH. Oh no! And uh, Howard Hughes uh, uh, saw that and said, "Well, you better go find yourself uh, Headington Hartford uh, because Howard Hughes is not going to marry you." Oh no! Uh, one of these, uh, uh, starlets, uh, was named, uh, Terry Moore, uh, and, uh, she was, uh, very well known for, uh, having kept her virtue. And, uh, this was a, a particular challenge to Howard Hughes. Uh, so one night while they were on a yacht, uh, in, uh, Nevada, um, he wanted to take that virtue away, and she said, no, not in the, only if we're married. So he got the captain of the yacht to marry them, and uh, they uh, then had their wedding night. Uh, and then uh, Howard Hughes proceeded to find the logbook uh, with that information and toss it into the lake. <gasps> oh, no! Uh, eventually he would settle down with Jean Peters, uh, another uh, Hollywood actress, but this was really a marriage just to make sure that no one in his business could say that he was not of sound mind. They would have to actually convince her to sign papers as well. It was a way of protecting himself. Their marriage was not any better or worse than any of the other flings that he had throughout his uh, lifetime. Uh... The last chapter of Howard Hughes's life, uh, he went away from Hollywood. Uh, he actually sold his interest in TWA, uh, for a check that was over $500 million, which was the largest check ever made in American business up to that point. Uh, he took all of that and he went to Las Vegas. Uh, Las Vegas was, uh, uh, people knew about it and there were certainly casinos and, uh, there's this entertainment vibe about it, but Howard Hughes just took to it like a duck to water and he bought up casinos. He would go in, he went, he started at the Desert Inn, he got a penthouse up there and the people of the Desert Inn liked it at first, but then, uh, with Howard Hughes's proclivities and the way that he lived his life, they wanted their penthouse back, and he decided to buy the hotel instead. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so he uh, holed up in the Desert Inn. Uh, he uh, then bought uh, lots of other casinos, the New Frontier, uh, the uh, Sands, uh, several others, uh, and really uh, ran Las Vegas and ran Nevada uh, with uh, uh, he 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 would be on the phone to the governor. He would be on the phone to uh, the legislators of Nevada to make sure that he got everything that he wanted uh, going on uh, in that town. Uh, now, uh, anyone who is somewhat familiar with Hughes and the last part of his life, um, because of, uh, the painkillers, because he was already suffering from, uh, because he was already suffering from, um, obsessive compulsive disorder, but it was not diagnosed, and everyone kind of played into everything that he, that he was doing instead of trying to get him help. Uh, so there were many periods where he would hole up either in a studio or in a hotel or in a house. Um, he would screen movies. He would watch movies over and over and over again. A lot of times he would strip down completely naked. Uh, he would not bathe, uh, for weeks or months on end. And, uh, let his beard completely grow out, had fingernails that were, uh, he wouldn't trim them, they were uh, over six inches long. Um, he would only eat candy bars and milk, and then uh, he would only touch items with a, a Kleenex. So you would take a Kleenex, put it in his hand, and then go and touch a, a phone uh, receiver. Uh, uh, so he would live his life like this, and really most of the last 26 years of his life, he would live like this. Uh, he eventually had to also, uh, start injecting himself with morphine. And, uh, there are stories of towards the end of his life, there were broken hypodermic needles in his arm still. Mm. Um, he, uh, really just completely fell apart, and a lot of the people around him enabled him, uh, to do that because they were still gonna get paid no matter what. Uh, by uh, the 1970s, uh, there uh, were a lot of people who didn't even think he was still alive, that he was just holed up. No one had seen him in 20 years, so they just got these phone calls, and they weren't even sure that it was really him. Uh, so uh, this sparked a, a controversy uh, regarding if Howard Hughes was still alive. Um, he ended up... Uh, uh, Flying out, he would fly to the Bahamas for a while, fly to Mexico. Uh, he lived in uh, London for a little bit. Uh, he did take uh, one last uh, flight uh, where he was uh, the pilot of the airplane. And while he was flying over London, he stripped completely naked. Uh, and then uh, completed that flight. And then eventually... <laughs> Uh, he uh, ended up, he needed to go to Houston uh, for um, treatment uh, for some of his illnesses, and uh, he died on the airplane ride um, to Houston in uh, 1976. Uh, Howard Hughes, a uh, uh, truly a, a remarkable person, a remarkable American, someone who accomplished so many things in so many different uh, areas uh, with aviation, with the war effort, with his films, with um, uh, commercial air travel. Uh, uh, and, and there are lots of stories of him uh, using that money for good. He was a, a generous person. He Money wasn't really that big of an object to him, so he would just write a check to someone, uh, one of uh, the uh, uh, women uh, that uh, he was involved with later on had a child who was um, uh, deaf and blind, and uh, Howard Hughes completely funded all of the medical care that that child would ever need for the rest mm. of its life. 
Uh, so could be generous, could be kind, um, uh, definitely uh, uh, had an affinity for women and collecting women, um, but uh, an odd person who maybe, if things were a, a, a different world, could have gotten treatment and could have lived a better last part of his life, um, but in any regards, a, a, a truly remarkable person. Wow. Um, that is so much. Um, I, I, I do have to say in this instance, I do agree with you with him having that Midhaven and Aquarius because all of the things that are in this chart, the one you chose, the one that is the one, the September 24th, uh -huh, the September 24th chart. It does make a lot of sense because having Jupiter in Gemini in the 12th house is, you know, karma with huge, you know, Jupiter in Gemini is too much, right? It's a lot. And then in your 12th house and it being an air sign and then Mercury, Hermes, you know, the god that flies, right? With winged heels very fast. And then having that all that technology on his midhaven in his career, it makes so much sense that he was fascinated by technology and that he was inventing things, you know. Mm -hmm. um, having North Node in Leo in the fourth house conjunct his Venus obsession with women. I'm not sure what he was looking for, but possibly someone like his mother. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because here you have North Node conjunct venus within two degrees and then moon in leo he was probably obsessed with trying to find someone like his mother mm. and these women weren't dominating him right like mm -hmm. his mother supposedly did and then having that mars and sag in the seventh house that's very uh um freewheeling you know and all this fire and air in his chart. It is, it's so sad that he, I mean, it sounds to me like after he had the accident and they put him on the drugs, that yeah. the drugs just strung him out and he was yeah. done, right? So yeah. it wasn't necessarily that there was something in his chart that would say, oh, you know, you're crazy. Right. Uh, I think that the, the accident, and it would be interesting to see where the aspects were on that day and how, you know, perhaps Uranus or whatever played into something and caused that accident and then had him, you know, just de degenerate from there. But what a fascinating person, but also not such a nice person. Yeah. I mean, in his, you know, pursuit of women and his need to dominate them while at the same time he's looking for someone to dominate him, you know, yeah. The, the the ones that he was the most interested in were the ones that didn't want to have anything to do with him. Mm -hmm. You know, that were just uh, very, very fascinating, Chandler. Very good choice. Uh, well, uh, on our scale of uh, right on the money to way out in outer space, uh, I think that uh, this one is, uh, while Howard himself was way out in outer space, <laughs> I think uh, this one is, uh, this chart is right on the money. Well, thank you, Chandler. 
that concludes uh, this episode of History in Retrograde. Uh, thank you so much uh, for listening. Uh, if uh, you'd like to uh, support the channel, uh, we have all the links to our uh, social media included in the description of the episode. Uh, we also have a link to our uh, PayPal uh, account. Uh, if you are feeling extra generous, you really like uh, what we're uh, doing here, uh, any amount would really help us in uh, growing the show and getting better equipment to produce a better show for you. And uh, if you are listening on Apple or Spotify, uh, you know, this is a podcast all about stars. So we'd really appreciate a uh, five-star rating and a review if possible. Um, yes, uh, thank you uh, so very much uh, for listening. And uh, as always, in conclusion, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. Yes, and thank you so much to everyone who is um, sharing the podcast. Yes, uh, thank you so very much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.